You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I've spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I am finally back in the UK, well, at least for the next six weeks or so. Today, the letter is V, and V is for vaginoplasty. Vaginoplasty is plastic surgery designed to reshape the vulva and or reconstruct or tighten the vagina. Medically, it's indicated when there's been a prolapse, which is when the muscles no longer hold the vagina in the proper place. However, in recent years, it's become one of the most popular plastic surgeries. Joining me to talk about vaginoplasty is Caden Cathers. I think I may have pronounced that wrong, and he will correct me if I have. Caden is a passionate advocate, psychotherapist, and educator for queer, trans, and consensually non-monogamous communities. He is the executive director of The Affirmative Couch, which provides online continuing education for psychotherapists on working with sexual, gender, and relationship diversity. He's the interim co-director of the LGBT specialization at Antioch University, Los Angeles. He is a psychological assistant in private practice supervised by Kenneth Scott, PsyD, where he specializes in relational psychoanalytic therapy with transgender and gender non-binary clients. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So, so correct my pronunciation of your last name. You got it right. It's Caden Cathers. I got it. <laughs> so vaginoplasty. Oh, my God. Um, what inspired me to want to do this show was having a look at some of the recent reports that um, this is the largest and fastest growing plastic surgery in the 18 to 24 set, which um, frankly- so one of the things is that kind of vaginoplasty is two different surgeries and one is with cisgender women and one is with transgender women and they are completely different surgeries. Absolutely. Um, so um, I feel like that's important to kind of say that when you talk about vaginoplasty, we have to be clear. Are we talking about vaginoplasty, the one that you're talking about in that scenario where it is increasing in younger generations um, versus also with trans women where it is also increasing, but for different reasons. I think because, we need to talk about both. Yeah, so th- I just want to have that clarified for the audience in case they're wondering about which one are we talking about and so clarifying which one we're talking about when. Um, and it, so to your point that it is increasing in, in younger um, cisgender females, um, and what I've been hearing about it is really that it's around feeling that their bodies are not okay um, and that they're wanting to, um, I'm on video, but like um, to quote unquote fix it when there's actually nothing wrong. There is all sorts of diversity of what labias um, and inner lips and outer lips and vulvas are going to look like. Um, and so it's really an unfortunate consequence i think of um over access to pornography at an earlier age when uh, there is enough understanding of body image so i mean so i know a lot of people talk um about the access to pornography and i agree with that i also think that there's another part to that which is 
the Insta culture. Yes. Reinforces the hell out of, you know, what we do is we use filters in order to, to, to look a particular way and be a particular way. And I was talking with somebody about this the other day and, and they were saying that um, it is, it, it's so very much, so little information is available or actually it's available. It's just people aren't accessing it that, you know, the, the wall of vagina, there's images of the wall of vagina, which was this, this sculpt, sculpture for the audience that was done of all these different women's vaginas, vulvas, really, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Correct. It wasn't the vaginas, the vaginas inside. So it was the vulvas and the labia, all the lips and everything to, to illustrate how much diversity that there is. That's why this was done. And that she was giving this to women as part of education who didn't even know which way to hold the images. Wow. There were women, and these were not young women, who were turning them sideways or looking at them upside down and didn't realize that they had the images upside down. And I was heartbroken to hear that. Oh, I'm heartbroken too. And it's just, so what we've got is we've got a plethora of what's supposed to be, and I'm putting this in quotes, normal that that is being seen in it in films, in pornography. It's Instagram put forward. Um, it's there's a, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, there are quite a few people who are self-proclaimed sexperts who are younger and don't have any idea about the wide range and are promoting this same sort of insta-culture image and so women are turning up cisgender women are turning up and saying there's something wrong with me i want this fixed i don't like this i don't like the way i look without any understanding that the diversity is huge huge but also we change as we get older as well so there's another thing that's going on which was killing me bleaching yes because who knew you got darker when you got older you do I, i you know and i was like nobody told me that but I would never put bleach near my genitals, you know, just the thing for me, right? It's one of those hard limits. I, I think that's a good hard limit because there's a lot of consequences of bleaching that it, it can damage. I mean, if you look at bleached hair, it's so fragile. And then think about doing that on the genital area where it's so sensitive and you don't want that area to be fragile because then you can't go as long and can't ha- enjoy yourself without putting yourself potentially at risk for injury right. or for an infection. Absolutely. So it's quite frightening to me that that's another thing. And that is because we do naturally get darker as we get older. Um, We do have skin color changes, many skin color changes for many, many reasons, all of which are normal. But the information is kind of, while it's there, it's not easily accessible to a lot of people. And I guess we ought to be making lots of Instagram memes about this or something. I don't know. The more you know, right, with the little star and then, like, have uh, little factoids around, like, uh, that things change color and things change texture and um, change in sensitivity and change in ability to lubricate. And those are all normal and natural. And so there's a a lot that also around people changing bodies and aging, that ageism plays into this. Kind of have an intersection of misogyny and we have an intersection of ageism um, and the objectification of women's bodies in 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 this particular vaginoplasty that we're talking about because um that's a very intimate area to feel the need to have a surgery 
in order to change its look because who is really going to be looking there? Precisely. And, and that, 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 right. So there's something that's a little bit weird about that of why are suddenly it's becoming a public area um, versus a private one. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be showing that area to people that are your intimates. If you're monogamous, you may only have one intimate at a time. If you're polyamorous, you know, like me, you got many intimates, you know, or some intimates or whatever. I mean, but, it, but you know, it, unless you are um, a model or an artiste mm-hmm. or um, in, porn, in porn films or erotica films, you're not showing this. This isn't public view you're not showing this and so that's a that's an important point so to actually feel that need that's so intense that you actually want to have surgery to modify something that nobody else is going to see but you is pretty yeah yeah and and this is where i think it's it trans people are an interesting case because often there is going to be an urge to change the genitalia, um, as well as other areas. And this really ranges based on the person because medical transition is highly different based on the person's own identity and, and, and way they want to express their bodies. But often people ask inappropriate questions about genitals and, and those sorts of things. And it's still a private area and it's still that they're changing it, not just for society or for anyone else, it's often just for themselves to feel good in their bodies, potentially to be engaging in sexual activities with other people. And sometimes it's about safety because if, for example, a trans woman is at the beach, it could be a little harder to hide a penis and testicles um, in a bikini. And so it becomes a safety concern. And so sometimes that's also where things get into play. So that, I mean, we're coming up to break, but that is something I want to talk about because it is an interesting one because because it feels different to me of doing that because just pers- for your own personal edification if you're trans versus being cisgendered. And, and so I kind of like to explore why that feels so different because it really does. It feels yeah. like a hugely different thing, um, one being really controlled by sort of societal norms and the other more inner-driven, you know, sometimes. Sometimes. And I think that there are trans people that are like, oh, my genitals don't look normal and have corrective surgeries. And then I think it falls into the same category that we're talking about versus I need to feel good in my body. Where does that line come from of that's coming from the self of this just doesn't feel congruent versus society saying you should have something different. Cause I think there are trans people that have that notion of to be a man, that means I need a penis or to be a woman. It means I need to have a vagina. And um, those and that's yes. questionable. And that's questionable because that's based on biological sex. So mm-hmm. so it's into a completely different space. So uh, when we get back, we will continue this because this is a, these are kind of really important delineations. And for people listening, if you've got questions, you know that you can phone in or you can write in. Um, if you're writing in, it's Beth at drlauriebethbisbee.com. Um, you can write in anonymously. I will read the question on the air and answer it. Um, and if you don't get the question in in time, we will certainly answer them next week. It can be a question on anything. It doesn't have to be for this show. Um, although we love questions that are actually on topic. It's wonderful. Um, and we will be back in a couple of minutes after a few short messages from our sponsor. We look forward to continuing this then.
Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now. How do you feel about a non-monogamous lifestyle? Does it sound enticing? Are you worried about what others might think? Your questions are answered on Sex Interrupted with Tara and James. It's a discussion about the swinger lifestyle, non-monogamy, sex, sexuality, and where it all fits in. All we ask is that you listen with an open heart and an open mind, and you will find your desires and fantasies can come true. Tune in to Sex Interrupted with Tara and James every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of Sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of Sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of Sex. This week, it's B is for vaginoplasty. It is um, segment two, and I am talking with Kate and Kathers about vaginoplasty. Um, before the break, we were talking about the fact that for some trans women, it is a different situation. The reasons for, for getting vaginoplasty um, are more interdriven. Interdriven, but for some, it's actually quite similar to the reasons that cisgendered women tend to want to do this. So I brought up in the break that this is actually a far more complicated issue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is a very complicated issue, and there's also different techniques for the surgery because um, it can be done. Most people do it with a penile inversion, which is basically that the inside of the penis. Um, uh, is removed and then it's turned inside out. Um, so basically it, it becomes a little bit more like a very deep belly button in the sense that it's just skin. So it doesn't lubricate in the way that a cisgender woman's vagina would. Um, and but what they can do is if, and this is one of the questions that I always have my patients or my clients ask their surgeon is how many nerves are actually harvested to make the clitoral, the clitoral, the new clitoris because there are two nerves that go down the shaft of the penis and some surgeons only use one 
which obviously is going to be problematic because if there's any sort of issue with that one nerve, that means loss of orgasmic ability, period. Um, and in addition, that would mean decrease of sensitivity. Um, most surgeons use two, particularly in the States, but it's always a question that I just encourage my patients to ask because they don't necessarily think about asking that question. Um, I don't see people actually losing the ability to orgasm very often anymore in the, in the current techniques, which is really wonderful. It used to be 10, 15, 20 years ago that that was a fairly common complication. It's pretty rare these days. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's really wonderful. Most people talk about having better orgasms actually after surgery just because it feels more congruent. Right. Uh, because often if you're having an orgasm and then ejaculating and then that feels like it really not it's not the wetness you're wanting. Right. <laughs> um, so most of the time that those are the stories that I'm hearing from people that have uh, from trans women that have that particular kind of vaginoplasty with cisgender women that are getting vaginoplasty, which is much more cosmetic in nature. Um, there are risks because of decreasing sensitivity and those sorts of things, because, um, I mean, you're still dealing with that body area. So it's not a high risk, but it's still there. Um, and if it's just reshaping a labia or something like that, it, it's really just for cosmetic reasons. And so it's a question of, is your pleasure more important than your look? And that, that's a big question. You know what? I think that unfortunately for many people, their look is more important. I know Peggy Orenstein did a bunch of work around um, young women and how they view sex and... and um, um, what's important to them. And, and one of the things she found, this wasn't very long ago, um, the early 2000s, one of the, um, or the mid-2000s, and one of the things that she found that upset me quite a bit was that um, really still the focus is, is almost never on their own pleasure. The focus is on what their partner, whether they're male, female, trans, non-binary, what their partner is experiencing, giving pleasure to their partner, and how they look. While they're having sex. Now, like, I don't worry about how I look while I'm having sex, right? That's like, why? Why would you worry about that? Yeah, maybe when you're trying to attract a partner, sure. But while you're in the midst, one should hope that you're present and and really engaged in what you're doing. Because otherwise, you're not going to be enjoying yourself terribly much. Um, and you lose out on the intimacy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but unfortunately, that seems to be a big thing. So that goes along with the increase in vaginoplasty with that age group. I think a lot of people don't even know how to be intimate anymore. And and by intimate, I'm not meaning sexual intimacy per se, but actually like um, I learned this phrase um, at a workshop a while ago and I just love it. So intimacy as into me, you see, it's totally cheesy, but it's so it, great. But it's great. Um, right. It, it, it's fantastic. And I think that a lot of people don't know how to let people see you in your entirety of see you with your flaws and know that you'll still be loved and accepted. And so there's something very sad around having partners where you don't trust that mm -hmm. and you're trying to hide who you are. Like sure. And I, you know, if I'm at the grocery store, I don't need to necessarily bring all of my authentic self, but I'm also not in an intimate relationship with everyone there. Right. And so there's something really sad of if in your intimate partners, you still don't, you don't know that your partner would still care about you, still love you, still want to have sex with you if you don't fit a particular image is just really sad to me. It, it is to me as well. And in, in addition, there is a lot, there are many people who have had that experience as well, which 
kind of adds into this. So, you know, particularly you mentioned aging earlier. Um, this is a big issue around aging, around the body, body changes around aging um, and those that we have less control over. And if you look at plastic surgery as a whole, um, although there has been the biggest increase in the younger, younger generations, certainly most, of, most plastic surgery is still over a certain age. And it is designed to try and help stop aging. And I mean, I get some of it. I mean, most of us are vain to a degree. I certainly am. And I'm 56. And I am well aware of things. And I do my best to hide certain signs of aging because I'm vain. There it is. But I haven't gone under the knife. And the idea of going under the knife is like, hmm, I don't know that I can go that far in order to um, stop time, as it were, right? But even if I did, it wouldn't be down there, right? If I was going to stop time, I'd be stopping time at the neck, you know? <laughs> and I just, I can't imagine. It's more visible, right? It's a public area. That's what I would be concerned about. Privately, none of my partners care. They love me. I know that. They love all of me, and warts and all. You know, I've got my faults, and they—that's how I make relationships. But I think you're right. I think that that happens less now, and I'm not sure what that's down to. I know, and certainly we didn't get taught skills for this, and we had to learn them, uh, kind of on the fly. But they get taught even less now, I think, because of of the the, the level of um, electronic culture. Yeah, because there is a different way of connecting on the phone, right? Even yes. um, if I'm texting or if I'm on the phone or if I'm on Facebook, I'm going to be trying to present my best side because I'm also, you know, if, depending on how many friends you have or how many followers you have, depending on the format, um, those are not necessarily people that you're actually intimate with. Correct. And so you're going to be presenting only a particular side. And so that is just going to increase levels of shame because shame is about wanting to hide things that you don't think are acceptable about yourself. Um, And so I think that having all of these images where it's all airbrushed and things are just making everyone just feel so much worse about themselves rather than actually bolstering self-esteem. And we see evidence of this as well of, of rates of depression and anxiety in people that use Facebook or other social media platforms more tend to actually feel worse about themselves rather than better. Which is, I mean, it's terribly depressing because it's such an, it's such an incredible platform. It could do the opposite. So much could be done to do the opposite. And yet still the vast majority of imagery is definitely about conforming and, and, you know, rarely, rarely are celebrity images untouched, you know, and rarely now are personal images untouched. I wouldn't know how to airbrush the way that other people do, you know, in terms of images. I just haven't had the time to, to learn to do anything like that, even if I wanted to, do you know what I mean? But I was amazed to find out how many people that I'm actually friends with that I know quite well who altered their images. And, and what does that say? I mean, sure, if we're, you know, wedding photos or something, you, you, know, you want to okay. brush or something like that, fine. But when we're doing it on an everyday basis, it means that we don't know actually how to relate with people with their warts at all. True. We only know how to relate with a photo. 
Oh, that's um, with, yeah, with a, you know, a, a message. And, and so I think that the increase in vaginoplasty in cisgender women, and particularly in younger generations, is just mirroring that, that they, they don't know how to relate. Um, and it, it's interesting because I'm also a psychoanalytic. And so we, we yeah. talk about, you know, roots of shame as being very young um, and the roots of shame coming at a, a you know, before age two, three, mm-hmm. somewhere in that age range. And so often people are like, oh, it's part of the culture. And I'm like, no, it's actually the parents. Yeah. When, I look at, when I'm walking down the street or I'm, or I'm, I'm at a restaurant and I'm watching, like, there's a little kid and they're like, look, you know, I'm so excited about whatever. And it's like a twig. Um, and sure, the parent is just like, oh, they're on their phone. And I'm like, well, well, there's no intimacy there. And so they're not learning that, hey, what I'm excited about is okay. And because sure, it's exciting to them. It might not be as exciting to me as an adult, but my job as an adult is to share in that excitement. Yes. Um, so that they can learn who they are and that who they are is okay. And so I think that actually we as parents, uh, I'm not a parent, but I think culturally as parents, we don't want to think about our kids as having sex lives, but the reality is they will as adults. And we as parents actually can have huge influences on whether or not our kid is going to feel good about our body, of their bodies, and therefore have a good sex life. You know what? And and I want to talk more about that. We're coming up to break. I'm going to talk, we're going to talk more about that in the next segment because I'm going to, I am going to talk about sexual development in children because I, I harp on about this because people don't pay attention. And it's really important, I think, to understand that your children are sexual from birth. From even before birth, fetuses masturbate. Right. So that's really important piece of information to have that, you know, we are, our parts are working and we're aware of them. Um, and what we do and how we react to that is, has a huge impact on where our kids end up in terms of how they manage their relationship to themselves and then, of course, their relationship to others from there. So we will be back in a couple of minutes after a word from our sponsors. Again, please do write in with your questions. We're waiting for them. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos. And keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter, all on thesexylifestyle.com. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. What is your level of sexual expertise? Want to find something new? Listen for Sisters of Sexuality every week on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. There's no judgment here, and every topic is safe and sex positive. So we'll explore them together. It's time to push your sexual boundaries and try some new experiences with your hosts, Taylor Sparks, Parrish Michelle Blair, and Jet Setting Jasmine, with Marla Renee Stewart and Tiffany Janae. You won't want to miss a single show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Sexy Lifestyle Network.
This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Everybody, welcome back to the A to Z of sex. This week, it's B is for vaginoplasty. And I am talking with Kate and Cathers about all sorts of bits and pieces where we started with vaginoplasty. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, the fact that the roots of shame are actually far earlier than people are aware. Um, according to psychoanalysis, and I actually um, wouldn't disagree with this at all. Um, so we're looking at the roots of shame beginning, you know, before the age of three. Therefore, as parents, people need to consider how they respond to their children, because if we um, shame them at that age, we're having a huge impact on how they view themselves as adults and therefore how they are in their relationships. So we impact their sex lives. I wanted to remind everybody that, you know, sexual development starts, Caden said, in the womb. Yeah. Right. So there's masturbation in the womb. Certainly young children to between ages two to four, one of the most common things that parents bring to me when I'm doing work with families, and I, I have done um, on and off over the last 30 years, is my child keeps touching themselves all the time. Is this normal? Hmm. Yeah. The thing is, it feels good. They don't know what it is. They don't have a name for it. They have no shame because nobody's given them any shame, thankfully. And so what feels good is what they do. It also is comforting. So that's what they do. And so it's important when you handle this to simply handle the publicness of it in a very gentle way and a non-shaming way rather than the actual act. That's a really important distinction because it's kind of like when a kid is really excited about something, we want them to be excited, but sometimes it's not appropriate because like, you know, if they're screaming and yelling and they're in the library, then it's like, no, this is the outside voice. So it's not about shaming the voice um, or the excitement or whatever it is. And we as a culture are so good at doing that um, to people. And I think a lot of people also never realize how young gender also develops. Yeah. Um, Gender is usually developed by age four or five. This is not to say that every, because often one of the myths is that all trans people know by the, at that age, and that is not true because repression and suppression definitely and denial can definitely come into play. Um, so some people do come out later in life, and that does not mean that they're any less transgender. Um, but a lot of people do report that they're like, yeah, I knew that, that something was different or something along those lines. So gender also gets developed really young. So I have a lot of parents that come to see me and they're like, how could my kid possibly know? They're 12, they're 13. Um, we don't want to put them on hormones because we're afraid that it's going to be irreversible. And I'm like, yeah, but if you have your kid go through the wrong puberty, that's also irreversible. Um, so I think a lot of people are like, how do you know? And I'm like, how did you know you were a woman? Didn't you know at five? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, well, then why doesn't your kid know? Why are they any different? Um, but parents get into, the, it, it activates a lot for people. Well, and one of the things that I've, I, and I've found that as well. One of the things I've found really interesting is that um, 
the desire of professionals and, and parents and people in general to say that if, um, say, a, a four-and-a-half-year-old boy is consistently dressing in female clothing, consistently presenting and saying that they wish to be female, that please call me she, that somehow that's a stage they'll grow out of and doesn't have any validity and yet would say that, you know, a, a cisgendered person presenting appropriately cisgendered, they don't see that as something that might change later, right? That That's, that's fixed. And um, again, you know, shame around that is a huge, huge thing that has humongous consequences for mental health later in life as well as relationships. And so to not listen to that, to not allow, and it, it's fascinating to me because I see a lot of people saying, well, go slowly, go slowly, go slowly. Don't fully acknowledge that. Like allow it, but don't fully acknowledge it. I'm like, why wouldn't you fully acknowledge it? Why wouldn't you? And if they turned around and told you a month from now that they changed their mind, why wouldn't you fully acknowledge that? You know? Because for some kids, it is going to be about exploration. And some kids, it's going to be about you know, they like Tonka trucks. Well, that's great. And maybe it's about Tonka trucks because they're cool rather than about gender. And sometimes it might be a stepping stone towards gender expression or gender identity. And you won't know until a little bit later. And this is where the kid's language is going to be really important. Are they saying things like, I am a boy? Or are they saying, I wish to be a boy? Those are two very different things. Um, are they saying things like, um, about their their genitals because even little kids are like these are not right um these don't match me um and so versus like is it just about the tonka trucks or the color blue or whatever it might be i mean it's it's very interesting it's an interesting distinction i have worked with parents um a number of parents where the issue was very definitely and up to this is up to age of six my parts aren't correct. Mm-hmm. Like, do not call that a vagina. It's not mm-hmm. a vagina. Well, what is it? It's a penis. And and bright children. So it wasn't a lack of understanding. It was a way of expressing this is this is me. Mm-hmm. This is me. I have one child who said God made me this way. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, the parents actually really took this on board, which was why they they sought help. They said, "How can we support support the child?" They weren't coming and saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. They were just saying, how can we support the child? Because clearly this child has some very definite ideas about gender. And is that is that out of out of the realms of possibility? I said, no, absolutely not. You know, absolutely not. It, it's 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 quite possible. And you really need to listen to what the child's saying because the child was presenting is depressed. And as soon as everybody acknowledged the appropriate gender, the depression just went. And that's what we see consistently in the literature of that kids that are allowed to transition as appropriate for their age, right? So it might be social transition. You're not going to give hormones to a five-year-old, right? Um, not not age appropriate. Um, to medical transition might be hormones, might be surgery, depending on the age. Again, we see that there are not higher levels of depression. We don't see higher levels of anxiety. We don't see higher levels of trauma. We don't see higher levels of PTSD, eating disorders, substance use, all the things that are often associated with the transgender community. But I think it's more a reflection of they're not feeling seen than a reflection of what does it mean to be trans. Right. Absolutely. 
So we um, we started out where we were talking about the difference between um, and we and some and the places where there's overlap between vaginoplasty and the trans and the um, cisgender community. But I, I didn't want to not talk about other types of surgery if we're going to talk about trans. If we're going the other direction, sure. Right. So um, do do we find some of the same? stuff if you look at i mean i don't know of any men who go in uh, cisgendered men who go in for plastic surgery around the penis i'm sure there are some but i can't go in for penis enlargement surgery but that's pretty rare yeah Um, some guys will go in if they've had like a botched circumcision they'll get um uh, a graft put in to, to to replace the foreskin um but i don't see those sorts of surgeries particularly often no no so, so really, that kind of surgery is, is, is mostly reserved for a medical need, like an injury where you need to reconstruct, or for somebody who's transitioning. Yeah, and, and for trans men, there are two different surgeries to make um, a phallus. Um, one is called metoidoplasty. It's also called meta for short. Um, so that's a surgery where t- when someone who was assigned female at birth is exposed to testosterone for an extended period of time, the clitoris actually will grow. Because in yeah. utero, actually, everyone starts off as female, and then the gene on the Y chromosome, typically on the Y chromosome, it's not always located there, like in Swire syndrome, um, it will get activated. That's the SRY gene. And then it will cause someone to, to have testosterone exposed, and then the clitoris will grow into the penis. Um, so the same thing happens with, with someone who is assigned female at birth is that it will grow. And then there's a tendon that kind of keeps part of the clitoris on the inside. And so that tendon gets clipped and then the, the, uh, the neophallus gets moved to a position that's more upright, but it's basically a larger clitoris. And if you look at photos online of, of, of metoidoplasty, it looks like a very, like a small uncircumcised penis. And someone could get that surgery with um, with including uh, creating a scrotum. So that's where you would take the labia and actually remove it and then place it underneath where the phallus is in order to have a scrotum, a scrotal sac, right. which later could have a testicular implant implanted later. So the advantage of, of metoidoplasty is it's a lot cheaper. It's a lot simpler. Um, the complication rate is a lot smaller. Um, and it's a fully sensate penis. Right. Um, the disadvantage is it is uh, it doesn't have erections in the same way. Clitorises do get erect, you know, they get engorged with blood, but not enough to be able to have penetration. So that's the main disadvantage with with metoidoplasty. The other surgery is phalloplasty. So phalloplasty actually takes a flap of tissue from another part of the body, and so that flap could be from the arm, it could be from the leg. Um, historically, it's also been used in the lat, and and way back when they also used the abdomen. So the reason that the arm is used most often is actually there are two nerves that can be harvested and they can do nerve grafts. So the nerve actually gets attached, one nerve gets attached to the clitoral nerve and the other one to the ileocecal nerve. So it has both tactile sensation and erotic sensation. It just wow. takes a year for it to be able to um, come into play. So with phalloplasty, um, there are lots of options. So again, you could create a scrotum out of the labia. You could get testicular implants. You could create a head of the penis and get glands plasty to create the glands. Um, Size, there's some flexibility. If you use the leg, you can go much larger, although sometimes it's um, abnormally large because 
the reality is that trans men are showers, not growers. Right. Um, so we, um, what it, it doesn't expand in the same way during an erection. Right. So if a guy makes like you could make a 10 inch penis, but a 10 inch flaccid penis is quite large. Most underwear will not fit it. <laughs> um, okay. That's interesting. It's interesting yeah. thought about where you, where you, where you deal with these things. We are, uh, we are going to continue this after break, believe it or not, we're really close to break. Um, yes. And because I was unaware that um, I knew there were both surgeries, but I was, I was unaware of the gradations I don't, I'm quite sure I didn't know that you could actually, um, you actually got much size choice with phalloplasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, before we head to break, I just want to mention my favorite, favorite toy, the O-Wand again. The O-Wand's an elegant, cordless, completely waterproof, and it is super powerful. It's got four speeds, seven programs, and a completely ergonomic handle. This wand vibrator is amazing, and in my opinion, it beats the magic wand by a mile. If you want a 10% discount, head over to HTTPS, colon, forward slash, forward slash, www.mrandmrstoy.com, and put in the code DrLori10, D-R-L-O-R-I-10. You can also find a link on my business page on the Sexy Lifestyle Network business pages. And we will be back in just a minute after a word from the rest of our sponsors. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Are you ready for your erotic journey? Join host Lexi Silver every week for SDC's Seek, Discover, Create, the radio show. Whether you're new at this journey or well-traveled on the sexual road, we'll help you find your way with guest experts and hot topics about sex, relationships, and your health. You can also connect with the communities of SDC.com for even more advice and discussion. Listen every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Your sex energy is your life energy. That's a central focus of The Conscious Living Show with Dr. Nancy Sutton Pierce and her husband, Dr. Mark Pierce. The health of your sexual life is a barometer for your physical, mental, and intimate relationship health. If something is out of whack, by listening, you may be able to identify the problem and fix it. And it's not always about the sex. Tune in to The Conscious Living Show, broadcasting live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Tune in to talk about sex and sexuality from a man's point of view. The Everything Sexy Show is direct, open, and uncensored discussions, ranging from open relationships to kink, sex parties, and self-love. Hosted by Jamal and Polly Rick, they'll answer your questions, discuss topics you're curious about, and provide a safe forum for perverted and provocative discussions you just won't get anywhere else. Check it out. It never hurts to listen. Everything Sexy, Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. 
feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drloribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. Uh, this week, it is B is for vaginoplasty. And I'm talking with Caden Cathers. And right now, we're actually talking about phalloplasty because we're covering all of it this week. Um, so before the break, we were talking about the fact that um, you said that you actually have a length choice if you choose to use the nerves from the leg rather than using the nerves from the arm. And that what you said during the break was that actually one of the key things is the length of artery because it needs to connect to the femoral artery if you're going to have femoral artery if you're going to have blood flow. So I, I guess if your arm is too short, and that means the artery in your arm would be too short, then it would be problematic. And so you'd need to. So just to clarify, so basically, because if we think about a forearm, it's a, it's about a foot. Um, and usually you need about five to six inches of artery. Uh, right. And that comes from above where you would graft from the penis. So basically, usually you can get about five to six inches from, from, a, from an RFF, which is from the forearm. With the leg... Um, cause I thigh is just so much longer. Yeah. And in addition, the, 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 the skin is thicker and the skin is, um, has more fat in it. If you think about forearms versus thighs. So if you want a girthier penis, then the leg is recommended. Um, the only problem with the leg is because the skin is thicker. If you're wanting the pee standing up, it does have a higher complication rate for the urethra. Cause if right. you think about a urethra, so we have the old urethra, and then I, if I'm making a new urethra, I'm going to take a flap of skin, and I'm going to roll it up to kind of make a straw, and then I'm going to connect it. Not me, because I'm not a surgeon, but right? yeah. um, to the old one. So I have two possible complications. One is that I could have a leak, and so I could have a leak at where I roll up the, the tissue or where it connects with the old urethra. So that's called a fistula. Um, the other complication is about, it happens usually about a year or two post-op. So it's not actually an immediate complication and it's scar tissue that develops in the urethra right. and it can block the urethra completely. Um, and that's more of an emergency surgery because you got to pee. Peeing right. is good. Peeing is important. It is important. So you were also saying that, um, uh, that you, there are different options um, and that the complication rate, if you decide that you're going to keep your vagina and want to pee standing up, 85%. Yeah, 85 to 90. And the reason for that is because the complications I just mentioned. So since the vagina is still remaining, then where the urethral opening is, is more on the inside. And so the surgeon has to connect it blindly um, to the old urethra. And so it it increases that complication rate pretty immensely. Um, So a lot of guys decide to have a vaginectomy, which is removal of the vagina versus um, making a vagina. Um, Partly because they have dysphoria around it and partly because they want to decrease their complication rate later. Right. So um, the other thing you said, which I think is really important for people to hear. So vaginoplasty, one surgery usually? Most surgeons these days do vaginoplasty with only one surgeon. Right. And phalloplasty? So with um, phalloplasty, using the arm, typically it's going to be two to three surgeries, also dependent on whether or not someone wants a penile implant in order to have penetrative sex. Because the disadvantage with the penile implants with trans guys is they weren't designed with trans penises in mind. They were designed with cisgender penises in mind. So Uh the complication rates on those, the failure rates, like for the pump, it's a failure rate of 100% in five years, which means that it has to be replaced. 
Um, in cisgender men, the failure rate is usually the replacement rate is every 11 years versus every two years. So that's having surgery every two years on your penis. Some guys are just like, you know what? No, I'll just use external devices or I'll use other things in order to be able to have penetrative sex. Um, with the leg, because the skin is so much thicker, the urethra is actually a second surgery on its own. So it's usually going to be, if you're wanting an implant, three surgeries for um, using the leg and two surgeries for using the arm. Wow. And that's not including replacement surgeries. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That, that's, it's, that's- it's part of the reason that a lot of trans guys opt not to have surgery at all or opt to have metoidoplasty because metoidoplasty is one surgery. Also, if you're paying cash, it's usually about 8,000. Whereas if you're talking about making a penis, it's going to be in the 80 to $120,000 cash price for the first surgery and 80,000 for the second. Wow. If you're paying cash, right? If you're having a trans cover it, then it's all about what your copays are and in network, out of network and those sorts of things. Where the vagina, usually cash price is going to be about eighteen to 37000 depending on the surgeon. So there's quite a difference there as well. Well, a two-hour surgery with one surgeon versus an eight-hour surgery with two surgeons, it, it, it's a big difference because they have to use um, – microsurgery techniques where they're actually looking under a microscope to do the nerve hookups. So that's a very skilled surgeon that needs a lot of extra training. But I think it's wonderful that they can now do that where they're hooking the nerves up. So there's sensation. There is sensation. Yeah. And nerves take about, uh, they grow at about a millimeter a day. So depending on how long your penis is, will determine how many millimeters will tell you how long it, it takes to grow. Um, and so, so there's a delay of like how long before you have um, full sensation? Yeah, it's usually about a year. Some guys it's two. And it, it's a little bit weird because often the erotic sensation comes before the tactile sensation. So it will be like, um, I know for me, it became the peeing because I could feel that it was, it was an erotic sensation versus just like the sensation of, of urine flow. Um, it was very confusing in my first year post-op. Um, uh, but eventually all of it just normalized and all of the sensations were there. That's, that's kind of interesting. So you, if you don't have the tactile sensation, um, yeah, that, that is a strange kind of disconnect, isn't it? Yeah, I, so I couldn't feel warmth. I couldn't feel if I was holding it or touching it. I couldn't feel if things were wet, cold, any of that. None of that was there for the first, so for the first two years. Wow, I know I, I I can all the only bit that I can relate to is is when um, you have surgery in lower abdomen where they cut through all the nerves. Yeah. Right, I've had that twice: once for C section and the and another time for an open hysterectomy. And um, there are spots that are numb, completely numb, and I, and, and unlocatable, really. And that's weird enough. I can't imagine what it would be like if it was actually a full body part that I couldn't experience. I think that would be a lot more confusing. But it's also, it's a new body part. So there's kind of this process, and, and this is for... Um, anyone having any sort of uh, surgery that's gender related. Um, it's kind of like, even when I had my chest surgery, it was like, oh, these aren't here anymore. Like there's a new body image that has to develop and then it matches the mind, but it's still kind of, 
in the mirror, you're like, is that me? Is that not me? That that's pretty normal. And there's a relearning of your erotic body because orgasms feel different. Sensations feel different. And so there's something kind of wonderful and exciting about having to relearn all of it. But also there can be some grieving over some people can be like, oh, I missed that I could do this before and now I can't or the orgasm feels different. So it's right. not that it's bad. It's just things change. Oh, that's quite cool, though, because there, there's a process. There's a process there to go through, and it's a known process. Um, so perhaps that you know, there's preparation around that versus like traumatic surgery where there wouldn't be. Um, well, that would be the ideal um, that they would be able to process those things in therapy before they go in. But I, I think that our field has done a huge disservice in having um, this letter writing process. So in order for someone to have a gender confirming surgery of any kind, they are required um, to get a letter. Um, If it's a genital surgery, often two letters. Um, And, and the letters historically have been around trying to be like, are you really trans Um, versus, yeah, versus, is this the right surgery for you? And I think that there's some debate of like, do you want to keep your vagina? Do you not? Do you want a scrotum? Do you want testicles? What size testicles? Those are much more important questions in some ways in the decision-making process. Who do you want as your surgeon? Um, Yeah, that makes, that, that makes a lot more sense. And I think we're close. We're actually close to end. I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> uh, I could talk about this far longer, and I think we probably need another show because there's a there are a lot more complicated issues to examine. I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure. If you guys have any more questions, email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com, and I'll see you next week where we'll be on the letter W. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to Lori Beth at drlaurybethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. See you next week. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets, from massage oils to lubes and beyond. We've got your bed covered, so just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. 
Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the Stay Dry Barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throws of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now.